What does it look like for a church to respond to the generosity of God which is found in Jesus Christ? A few weeks ago, we looked at the generosity. What does it look like for a church to respond generously in its giving of resources and of our treasure and of our money? Uh, Last week, we looked at what does it look like for a church to respond generously in its welcome and its hospitality of others? The word generous itself is showing a readiness to give something more of something as money or time than is strictly or necessarily expected. See, the generous church is not the church that says we will give just enough. A generous church says it will not just give the bare minimum, but a generous church says we will go over and above what is expected. So generous with our resources and treasure, generous with our hospitality and welcome of others. And this morning, I want us to look at a passage, John chapter 4. And as we look at John chapter 4, the story of the woman at the well, I want us to answer this question. What makes a church generous in its outreach and service to others? As we reach out from this church and serve this community and ultimately serve this world, what makes a church generous in an outreach and service to the city and the world? Just a reminder that everybody should have a generous card in your bulletin, generous service and generous giving card in your bulletin. We will be asking our entire congregation to respond to this series next Sunday, February 11th, in the area of both giving, generous giving, and in the area of service to this congregation and to this community. But the story in John chapter 4 is a story that I'm sure is familiar to many of you. It's the story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman, or Jesus meeting the woman at the well. Some theologians have said that John chapter 4 is a commentary on John chapter 3, the the well-known verse where Jesus says to Nicodemus that God so loves the world that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That John chapter 4 is a commentary on the whosoever. That when Jesus is explaining the message of the gospel, the whosoever believes... In John chapter 3, in John chapter 4, we have a great example of the whosoever. Even the Samaritan woman is part of the whosoever in the message of the gospel and the message of the kingdom. We're not going to read all of chapter 4, but select verses from chapter 4 this morning, beginning with verse 3. Would you hear the word of God? In verse 3 it says, He, meaning Jesus, left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, 
you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave, us, he gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Skip down to verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar, went away into the town, and said to the people, Come. And see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out from the town and were coming to him. And then verse 39. And many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. And the grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord it stands forever. Amen. Well, this being Super Bowl Sunday, it's only appropriate that we have a story from... Philadelphia. But if you are traveling to Philadelphia and you're familiar with the art museum, behind the art museum in Philadelphia is a road called Kelly Drive. And along Kelly Drive is the well-known Boathouse Row. And if you were to ever take a stroll down Boathouse Row along Kelly Drive, you will see a 12-foot statue of a pilgrim holding a Bible. And if you were to follow that trail along Kelly Drive, you would follow it from the Schuylkill River up a hill until you see and find the source of that river. And at the source of the river up on top of the hill, the founders built an archway. And on top of the archway, which is the source of the water that goes into the reservoir that eventually pours into the Schuylkill River, the archway has this inscription, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. See, the founders of that city understood the earthly water that is provided to all of us. More than that, the founders of that city understood the meaning of this text. The founders of that city understood the depth of understanding and the importance of understanding the truth of John chapter 4. 
that yes, we are provided water, but the water that this world provides, when you drink of it, you will be thirsty again. And until we understand the depth of what Jesus is talking about in this passage, that the water that this world provides, we will never understand what it means to minister to the people that we have been called to minister in our community and in our city and in our neighborhoods and ultimately throughout the ends of the earth. Until we understand this truth of what Jesus is trying to get out here, that the water that this world provides will leave you thirsting for more. We will never understand what it means to be a church that is committed to serving the people of this city and ultimately the world. So what makes a generous church generous in its outreach and service to the city and the world? I want us to look at three things briefly this morning. Three things, three keys that we take away from John chapter 4 this morning and helping us answer the question, what makes a church generous in its outreach and service? The first thing that we see here in John chapter 4, the first key in Jesus's ministry to the woman at the well is number one, the necessity to reach through barriers. First thing that we see here, the first key to Jesus' ministry to others is the necessity to reach through barriers. You have to understand that the assumption of the disciples up until this point is that the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of the disciples, was for the morally upright Jew. That is who the kingdom of God was for. That is who we were called to minister to. The morally upright Jew. And it wasn't until this scene here in John chapter 4 where Jesus is ministering to certainly not a Jew and certainly not somebody who was morally upright did they have their paradigm turned upside down regarding who the ministry of the kingdom of God was ultimately for. But the first thing that we see here is Jesus reaching through barriers. Let's look at some of the barriers that existed here in John chapter 4. The first barrier that we see here is a cultural and racial barrier. We see have to understand that a Jew speaking and certainly speaking in the height of the day in, in front of public would, was absolutely taboo in this culture. You see, the Jews and the Samaritans hated one another. A little brief history on the history of the Samaritan people. When Israel was brought into captivity by Assyria, they brought in all of their foreign gods and all of their foreign idols and they intermarried with the Jews. And so the Samaritans were not pure, according to the Jews. They had abandoned the God of Israel for foreign idols and foreign gods. They, they intermarried with the foreigners and with the Gentiles. And see, the first thing that Jesus does, simply by interacting with the woman at the well, simply by speaking to her, was he was crossing the cultural and racial barrier. The second thing, the second barrier that we see here is the gender barrier. See, men did not talk to women in public. I've said it before that women 2,000 years ago had no rights. They, their, their testimony was not permissible in a court of law. They had no rights to ownership or land in that day. And certainly a man like Jesus who was claiming to be the king of the Jews and the very son of God would have never 
been been seen in public talking to a woman. This was a patriarchal culture. And so Jesus was not only reaching through the cultural and racial barrier, but he was reaching through the gender barrier as well. And then on top of that, he was reaching through the moral barrier. In verses 16 through 18, we see what this woman had been dealing with. Jesus says, go and and tell your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, what? You're right. You've had five husbands. And the man that you're living with now is not only your husband. This This was unheard of in this culture and in this day. It exposed the moral condition, the the moral bankruptcy of this woman. But it doesn't stop Jesus from ministering to her. It doesn't stop Jesus from interacting with her. And so all of the barriers that existed in that day, Jesus reaches in through grace and by grace, reaches through the culture barrier and the gender barrier, and then lastly, the moral barrier as well. You have to understand that this woman is the least of the Samaritans. It would be bad enough for Jesus to be talking to a Samaritan woman, but a Samaritan woman that was caught in deep sin. And Jesus reaches through every barrier and he has absolutely nothing to gain. So often I... We all have to ask ourselves when we minister to people, we have to ask ourselves, unfortunately, what do I have to gain from this relationship? What do I have to gain from this ministry or from this outreach? But you see, Jesus had absolutely nothing to gain. In fact, Jesus had everything to lose by ministering to the Samaritan woman. You see, in the economy of God, the economy of God's kingdom, missions and ministry and outreach, there is no such thing as the, 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 the positive or the good ROI, the return on investment. You see, more often than not, when we reach to reach out to those that God calls us to serve, often there is no ROI, often there is no return on investment. And the question this morning is who is it in your life that God has called you to reach through that barrier, the the barriers that might exist in your life or in your culture or in your current context? Often it's the least desirable person that God has called us to reach through, reach through that barrier to minister to them. So the first thing that we see here in Jesus' ministry is the necessity to reach through barriers. Leslie Newbegin, a uh, now deceased Scottish Presbyterian pastor and theologian, said this, spiritual renewal will only happen when local congregations renounce an introverted concern for their own life and recognize that they exist for the sake of those who are not yet members as a sign, instrument, and foretaste of God's redeeming grace for the whole life of that society. They don't exist for their own life, but they exist for the good of that whole society, the necessity of reaching through barriers. The second key that we see to Jesus's ministry and his outreach is an understanding of the brokenness of humanity. 
understanding of the brokenness of humanity. In verse 13 through 15, I alluded to that inscription in Philadelphia, but he, he explains here in verses 13 through 15, this water, this well from Jacob, if you drink from this water, you will be thirsty again. You see, Jesus understands the depth of the brokenness of humanity and he understands this woman. You see, Jesus spends very little time addressing the five husbands. Spends very little time. Why? Because he understands that the five husbands and the man living at home with her now is simply a, is, is simply a symptom of the brokenness. And what does he do? He very quickly moves beyond the five husbands and he dives deep into understanding what is truly the condition of this woman's heart. Ultimately, this woman is broken and she is spending her entire life drinking figuratively from the wells of this world. Jeremiah calls it what? He calls it a broken cistern. And the reality is this, uh, is, is this, this morning, that the problem with the human condition, the problem with humanity is not the symptoms that we see on the surface. It is the brokenness. It is the sin. It is the depravity of our heart by nature. And until that is fixed, until that is addressed, it doesn't matter if we deal with the symptoms. It doesn't matter if we deal with that which we see on the surface. Jesus understands the depth of her brokenness. This woman is thirsty. And knowing her story of five husbands, it reveals her thirst, that her thirst for satisfaction and affirmation is deep. C.S. Lewis says this, quote, Human history is a long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God that will try to make him happy. Human history is a long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God that will try to make him happy. You see, we live in a world of thirst. That's why Jesus moves quickly beyond husbands to water to ultimately worship because he understands that this woman is trying to find something to meet her deepest need. And I want to caution you this morning. Every single one of us in this room knows people in our lives that look like they have it all together and they look like life is working out for them very well. And those people might have even told you at some point in your relationship with them that life is working out well for us. I have no need for God. I have no need for religion. And guess what? John chapter 4 reminds us and the entirety of scripture reminds us that it doesn't matter how well off they are. It doesn't matter how well off they think life is going for them. If they are drinking from the well of this world, if they are drinking from the broken cisterns of this world, they are ultimately broken. And the truth is this, that that well will eventually run dry. The well of career will eventually run dry. The well of beauty and success will eventually run dry. You see, we have to understand in order to be effective effective missionaries to our community and ultimately the world, we have to understand the depth of people's brokenness. No matter what people tell you, ultimately deep down inside, if they are still drinking from the water and from the well of this world, they ultimately don't have peace. They are thirsty, drinking from a broken cistern, drinking from the well of money, success, beauty. Everyone needs this water. So the challenge for us this morning is will you give them water? 
Will you give them this water? As they're drinking from the well that will eventually run dry, as they're drinking the water from a broken cistern, the world is desperate for Jesus, and that is why He has commissioned you. That is why He has commissioned His church. That is why He sends out His disciples at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And He says, go into all of the world and take this message to the ends of the earth because the entire world is drinking from a broken cistern. They are thirsty and they are desperate and there is only one thing that will ultimately quench that thirst. And that is the water, the living water from Jesus. Who is that one person in your life? Who is that one person in your life that is drinking from the broken cistern? Sometimes we think missions and outreach involves taking a long-term trip to Africa or Southeast Asia. You see, some of the greatest missions, giving living water to somebody, might actually just be your next-door neighbor. Might actually be somebody living in your home. You might have a spouse that needs living water. You might have a son or a daughter that needs living water. You might have a neighbor or a colleague at work that needs living water. The reality of, is this, that every single person you pass on the streets needs the living water of Jesus Christ. Do we understand the depth of the brokenness of humanity? And then third and lastly, we need to understand and remember the power of the gospel. We need to remember the power of the gospel, that transforming message that God saves sinners through Jesus Christ. What does Paul tell us in Romans chapter 1? He says there is a power, and what is the power? The power is the gospel, and it is the power of God unto salvation. You see, ultimately, we all crave power. We, we, create, we crave power in our relationships. We crave power at home. We crave power at work. We crave power. And Paul says, you have power, church. And it is found in the message of the gospel that God saves sinners through Jesus Christ. And we see it here in the story of with the Jesus and the woman at the well. What ultimately happens with this woman? She understands the gospel and what happens. In verse 28, it says, So the woman left her jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Why does this woman make this conclusion? Because this woman, her entire life, lived in fear and in shame. And she lived more than likely with this question in the back of her mind. If people knew me, if they knew the real me, would I be rejected? And here is one that has been sent from God who knows all that I ever did and loves me the same. You see, the power of the message of the gospel, the power of the message of God's love through the person and work of Jesus Christ has the power to change and transform. And too often we forget that we have that power in order to be effective in our outreach and service to others. We must never forget that we have the power to see lives transformed in verse 28, it says, The woman left her water jar and went away. Do you understand the significance of that? For this woman's adult life, she probably lived her life in between the well and her home. 
not willing to go out beyond the well for fear of being shamed. And what does she do? She drops the jar. Why? Because she has no more need for this water. She has no more need for the water of the broken cistern. And instead of running home in shame, what does she do? She goes out and she tells, the, she tells others about the good news of this man that I met named Jesus Christ. Do you see the power of the gospel to change? The power to be transformed. And then in verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. You know what church history tells us about this woman? Church history tells us that this woman was the first missionary to the Samaritans. She will forever be known in church history as the first, first missionary to the Samaritans. Not known in church history as the woman who had five husbands. Not known as the woman who was caught and stuck in shame. But known as the woman who took the message, the life-saving, life-transforming message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to Samaria. What a testimony of transformation. That's the message that we have. That is the message of the gospel that you have been entrusted with. A new identity. A new hope. And the only reason that Jesus is able to give her this hope, the only reason that Jesus is able to give her this message of hope and able to give her water that will never leave her thirsty again is because Jesus ultimately on the cross would cry out, I thirst. You see, the reason that this woman was not rejected at the well is because Jesus would ultimately be rejected by his father. The reason Jesus is able to give her water that would finally and ultimately quench her thirst is because Jesus lost the water of the father and cries out from the cross, I thirst. Jesus experiences cosmic thirst and separation from the father so that you and I would never be thirsty again. And the one question I have for you this morning is have you tasted this water, this life-giving, life-transforming gift that Jesus extends to you this morning? He not only says to the Samaritan woman, but he says to you this morning, come and drink. Drink of this life-saving, life-giving water that will never leave you thirsty again. That Jesus says that I was separated from my Father by way of the cross so that you would never be separated from the Father. I lived the life that you couldn't live. I died the death that was reserved for you only to be raised from the third day so that whoever believes in Him shall never die but have everlasting life. Have you tasted of the living water. Jesus extends that invitation to you this morning. Come and drink. But for those this morning that have tasted of this water, those that have tasted the water that springs up to eternal life and have drank from the generous well of God, what does it look like for us as a church to respond generously to others in our service and outreach to the world? What does it mean to go out to serve this community? What does it mean to be a missionary right here where God has called you? Derek Redman 
was a world-class sprinter. Derek Redman qualified for the 1992 Summer Olympics in Barcelona. Derek Redman, who hailed from Great Britain, was picked by all of the experts to take home the gold in the 400-meter dash. And the crowd that day, as he was running the 400-meter dash, that crowd that day in Barcelona came out to see a world-class sprinter take home the gold. But instead, they saw a beautiful picture of what it looks like to serve the broken. Turn your attention to the screens. picture. What you don't see is the father fighting his way through the crowds to pick up his son that has fallen. What you don't see is a crowd of 70,000 people that stood to their feet to give father and son a standing ovation. What does it look like to generously serve in light of God's generosity towards us? Going out and lifting up the broken, going out and being the hands and feet of Jesus, and taking them to the one that offers life 
and life eternal. So my question for you this morning, who will go to Samaria? Who will go to Samaria? Who will answer this call to serve this community and this world generously? And who will answer the call this morning from Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church and will say, take my life, Lord, and let it be. Take my life, Lord, and let it be consecrated, set apart, with no reserve. Use me for your kingdom today.